We'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? It's got every single line wide open. That's right. <laughs> right now is the perfect time to call. A little technical difficulty. That's right. Huh? Just take you by surprise there. Kind of throws everything off kilter. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just in case you don't care to call in. Something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Easy way to remember that's Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. There's several databases you can search there on the site. There's the vehicle questions, which is kind of a short to the point answer to a particular question. That's like if you say how do tires get out around. Poop, you pop on there and it's going to bring you to a short answer of what's going on. Or why does my car pull to the left after I rotated my tires? Right. Or accidentally put synthetic oil in my car and I was using regular. It'll give you a straight to the point answer to a specific question. And of course, where those come from are folks that call on the radio show. I generally make a mental note of the questions that they have, go back and add them to that database, or folks who send in questions. I'll go through and delete out personal references, right. of course, and put their questions in there so other people can benefit from them. So chances are you're probably going to find what you're looking for right there. There's a lot of great information there. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, we've also got the detailed topic section which is a lot more information on a specific topic. Now, I've also got them cross-referenced. For instance, if you go to, say, should I be using synthetic oil? It's going to give you a quick answer, but it's also going to give you a link to a detailed topic on that, which gives you much more information. So they are cross-referenced. That's and great. There's also, of course, a search function, which will bring up all the information on a specific topic. Use the least amount of words possible right, to get you, you can. the most information. Mm-hmm. And we just enhanced that quite a bit. I did a lot, a lot of work. I spent about two weeks working on that search function. So I've got it working pretty well now. So I think you'll really find what you want. If you don't, it's going to be a mystery to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we index that site about once a week, right. and it's up to 250,000 words in that site. So... That's great. It's a pretty good little index there. A lot of great free information. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Put one in there this morning on frame repair, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And frame repair is one of those mysterious things that kind of falls between an art and a science, I guess. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> a lot of times, folks are pretty surprised to find out that they've got frame damage on their car. It happens a lot. I, that's not, kind of my specialty at Agco. Well, absolutely. And not only from a standpoint of the car being wrecked, but you can bump into a curb, blow a tire, damage the chassis of the car. Yeah, the way cars are built these days. Particularly on new unibody cars. Right. And this goes in and takes a scenario that was we had in the shop where a vehicle had been wrecked in the past. The gentleman was having continuous problems with vibrations and leaks and stuff like that and just couldn't figure it out. It finally brought it to us. We found out that the frame had been bent, straightened improperly. And this gives pictures and shows you how to... A few diagrams. Right, exactly. Tells you how all that stuff sort of works. And fortunately, we were able to straighten the frame out and repair the problems. He has had no more problems. Right. So it's just a real good article. There's also one in there called Don't Buy It, and it's all about the extended oil change intervals. And there's Don't Buy Into That, and this is the reason why. Mm -hmm. Because we see quite often cars that technically are about halfway through their life having to go to the junkyard just because of sludged up engines and major repairs that could have been prevented with just a little bit more frequent maintenance on the car. Exactly. So that's another real great database. Of course, the third one is there's an Agco database. It has questions about Agco. Should you decide to do business with us? What credit cards you take? What are your hours? What holidays? How much do you charge for a diagnosis? Why do you not quote prices on the phone? 
All those sorts of things are in there as well. Right. So pop on there and see what you think. It's agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Think you'll really like it. And we got Mike online. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning. I gotta I gotta pre qualify this by saying I don't know anything about cars. So you okay. Help me out here. <laughs> I'll try my best. I got a Mercury Milan uh-huh. uh, with about sixty thousand miles on it. I bought it used and did not get the owner's manual with it. Okay. So I didn't know any kind of regular scheduled maintenance or anything like that. Yes, Is there sir. anything at this point in time that I should have done or should go do now? Yeah, Mike. As a general rule, just to simplify it for you, because they've got all kinds of little scheduled things. What works really, really good for most folks is just to bring it in once a year. That's just real, real simple. Once a year, just pick a month that's convenient for you. Bring the car in. We can go through, review all the maintenance for you, tell you what things need to be done, tell you what things have not been done. And if it hasn't ever been in, we're probably going to find a fair number of things. But what we can do is prioritize it for you. For instance, we can say, hey, this is very important when you do it right now. This could wait six months. This is in the next year. That kind of stuff. And then we schedule, that'll put you back in good shape. See, right now, if you catch it early like this, it's kind of like a guy who starts smoking when he's 15. If he quits when he's 25, he's going to probably live a long, healthy life. Sure. But if he waits till he's 75 and he's got lung cancer, it's too darn late. So right. you're at a point right now that's kind of critical. If you start taking care of it now, you could probably get a gajillion more miles out of it. But okay. the number of big, big problems are going to start really coming up on you. Stuff like if you don't change the transmission fluid and the filter gets restricted, instead of spending $150 for a transmission service, you spend $3,000 for a transmission. <laughs> and, I don't want to do that. Yeah, you know, a fuel filter that costs maybe $40 or $50 installed instead of a $800 fuel pump. Okay. So coolant, you change the coolant for around $100, and you're protecting probably $1,000 worth of cooling system components. So what you want to do is get to the point where you're preventing problems, being proactive with it. You think I'm in trouble for waiting this long? Well, it probably would be better if it hadn't, but it's, it's one of those things where it's probably never too late either. Okay. You just need to go ahead and get on a program. How many miles are it now, Mike? Just under 61,000. You're probably still in pretty good shape. The reason being 60,000, there's not a lot of scheduled maintenance due. There was some stuff due at 50, but you're not that far past on that. What really, really happens to most folks is they wait till around 100 to bring them in. Right. Now, at that point, when they come in, they need $2,000 worth of stuff, which if they'd have caught it early, they probably for a few couple of hundred bucks, they could have prevented all that. Okay. So it's never too late, but the sooner the better. I'm not saying you got to run out tomorrow and do it, but I'd get that car in and have it inspected. Go ahead okay. and get a good check on it. All right, well, I appreciate it. All Thanks right, Mike. So much. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we got Joey online. Good morning, Joey. Hi, good morning, guys. Good morning, yes, sir. I have a 2002 F-250 4x4. Okay. And passenger side door lock intermittently doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's annoying, obviously not annoying enough for me to get into the door just yet, right. but sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Okay. I haven't noticed a When it does when not it work, work, tell me what it does. Does it make a noise or a sound and yep. just doesn't lock? It makes a noise, and you can see the actual door lock try and go up. Right. Uh-huh. It doesn't unlock itself. Yeah, almost Great. every time, Joey, that's going to be the door lock actuator. And what that is on a Ford is a solenoid or electromagnet. And when you push that button, it sends a signal to the body control module, which grounds a relay, which makes that module pull down. And it pulls a little lever, which locks and unlocks the mechanical latch on the door. Now, what happens is that when they get old, they get kind of weak, and they'll pull down about three-quarters of the way. And you'll hear the thump like it's going down, but it just doesn't pull that latch quite far enough. And then when it releases, it just pops back to its original position. So it either okay. it will either not unlock or it will not lock, and yeah, it may do it intermittently. 
sometimes it pulls down nails, sometimes it doesn't. But the fix is going to be to replace that door lock actuator. Fortunately, they're not terribly expensive. I think they're in the $80 or $90 range. It takes about an hour or so to change them. I believe they're riveted to the door, They too. are. It takes a special big rivet tool to put them back in there, but not a real expensive job. If you want to try it yourself, you could try. It is a little bit involved if you never did one, but certainly within the range of most do-it-yourselfers. And like I said, if not, it doesn't cost a whole lot to have a shop do it. We do them all day um, okay, long. Okay, well, you, is there any special tools I need to pop the door panel itself off? No, mm-hmm. just be real careful. It's a bunch of plastic clips in there, and they do make some special tools that makes it a lot easier. But you can basically take a kind of a wide-blade putty knife and get in there and mm-hmm. just be real careful. Because if you break those clips, you're going to have to buy more. Now, Ford dealer does normally keep them in stock. You'll have to just replace the ones that you break. But you just don't want to get real rough because you tear up the door panel and get too crazy with it. But okay, generally, there's a couple it. of screws underneath the armrest somewhere. You got the handle, it has a couple of screws in, and the rest of it's just plastic clips. Okay, perfect. All righty. All right, thanks, guys. Okay, Joey. Thank welcome. you, man. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. I think we'll go ahead and just take a quick little break right now, but we'll be right back with more. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get- I'm here with David. Actual Agco Automotive customer and owner of a 98 Suburban with 434,000 miles on it. And counting. That's amazing. How did you do that? Well, as an airline pilot, I know the importance of regular maintenance schedules. That and having a great team of mechanics, just like the guys at Agco. So Agco has helped keep your car running? All of my cars. Wow. So, folks, if you're looking to keep your late model vehicle on the road longer, take it to Agco once a year for a general inspection. That way, the Agco team can catch any potential problems early before they become expensive repairs down the road. Yeah, David, I've done a little piloting myself. Really? Well, it was one of those radio-controlled planes you fly off of Burbank, (laughs) but I could feel the power. (laughs) Oh, I bet you could. That's really close to a 747. I know, right? So, folks, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just joined us, it's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Be glad to try to put you up right at the top of the list. That way, we got some time to spend with you and get you a proper answer. There you go. Instead of having to give you the bums rush at the end that, of the show. That's it. It happens every week. <laughs> yeah, there's always most people, for some, whatever reason, they like to wait towards the end of the show to call in. And right. our lines just jammed up at the end of the show, and we just don't get to the call. So go ahead and call in now. We'll get you an answer to your question. We got Gerald online. Good morning, Gerald. Good morning. Good yes, morning. Sir. Good morning. I have a 2000 Buick LeSabre. Okay. And the AC just quit working. How can I tell whether it's a compressor? or? Well, tell me how it quit working. What's it doing? It's just not blowing cold air. Okay, it's blowing, but it's not blowing cold. Blowing, but not blowing cold air. Okay, the first thing you want to do, Gerald, yourself, is just go down, crank the car up, turn the air conditioner on, and physically look at the compressor. And you know what a drive plate is on the end of the compressor? It's turning. It is turning with the compressor. It is turning. Okay, well, if it's turning with the compressor, then chances are you don't have an air conditioning problem on the air conditioning system. More likely, you got a problem under the dash. Okay. Because if it were low on refrigerant, that compressor would not engage. It's got a cutout switch. But so the last thing in the world you want to do is let some moron add to it, <laughs> okay? Because you'll end up blowing a good compressor up. Okay. If the compressor's turning, it's got charge in it. Okay. Okay. Now, it's possible that the compressor could have failed internally, but that's pretty 
rare and generally going to make a lot of noise when that happens. All right. So more likely what you got, there's a bunch of blend doors underneath the dash of the car. Okay. And what they do, you've got a heater core and you've got an evaporator core. The heater uh, core is hot, the evaporator core is cold. I understand There's the a doors. door that moves back and forth to allow the car to heat or cool. Now, right. if it doesn't move over to the evaporator core, it's going to blow, but it's going to blow ambient air. It's not going to blow cold. Okay. So more likely, if everything's turning under the hood, that's going to be the issue. Now, I've got a article on the website. You go in there and just type in, like, actuator or something to that effect, and it'll bring up an article on that with pictures and all that. That is just about out of the realm of any do-it-yourselfer to diagnose. Okay. The reason being is a computer-controlled system, 5-volt square wave pulse type thing. Just right. trying to figure out which of those four motors is bad is going to be hard enough, and it may not even be a bad motor. It could be the computer itself. It could be a wire. You could probably be better off to take that in and let somebody like AGCO diagnose it for you, even if you want to fix it yourself. Just okay. let them diagnose the problem, tell you what's wrong. All right. Sometimes the control units go out. Those are real easy to change, but kind of expensive. Sometimes right. the actuators go out. Those are inexpensive, but real hard to change. So it just kind of depends on what went on there. Now, if you feel the two lines going into and coming out of the air conditioner, okay. one should be hot and one should be cold. Okay. Okay, that's another little test you can do. If one line is, is hot to the touch, one line is cold to the touch, then the air conditioner system is probably working, and then that adds a lot more weight to the argument that's probably under the dash. Okay. Now, if those two lines are both the same temperature, then more likely you have an air conditioning issue. But okay. it's just kind of strange for the compressor to be turning because generally anything goes wrong in the system, first thing it does is shuts that compressor off to protect it. Okay. All righty. One other thing, the air that is blowing out of the vents, is it blowing out of the defrost and the heater at the bottom? It's coming out the dash like it's supposed to. Or is it just blowing out of the, the front vents there in front of you when it's blowing? I don't know. I don't drive it. So yeah, okay. ask and it's, see if the if it's blowing out of the normal vents where it normally comes out, then that means one thing. If it blows out the floor and at the defrost, even though you command an event, then that would definitely be an underdash problem. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll all right. check it. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank You're you, welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. That's a wise man to call in and get some advice on that because – there is probably, and, and we don't see it as much this time of year because it's pretty cool and right. people are not fixing air conditioners right now, but man, during the summer, we see that so very, very much. The air conditioner quits working. The first thing they do is take it to some moron who puts more refrigerant in it. Then he ends up ruining a perfectly good compressor. Plus, he still got the original problem. Well, that's it. You know, the old systems held a pound, pound and a half. Well, of, of, the old ones took about five pounds. <laughs> yeah, refrigerant. refrigerant. These take some of, them as, some of them as little as 12 ounces. That's right. So you stick an extra two or three ounces in there, and you are way, way overcharged. And, man, it will tear a compressor up in a heartbeat. It's not going to handle that extra. And you just can't charge one of these systems with a set of gauges. Charging gauges, you can throw them away. They do not work on the new systems. That's because right. you got a variable displacement compressor that can put those pressures anywhere it wants it. has nothing to do with the amount of charge in the system. That's why there's a little label in there that tells you how much the system holds, right. how much oil the, it holds. The only way to charge that system is to evacuate the system, measure it, recharge it with a charging station that says exactly how much put the correct amount back in. There is no other way, and I don't care what anybody else tells you, don't believe it. That's it. If they bring a set of gauges out and start squirting refrigerant in there, <laughs> Time to leave. you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you're in serious to do. Hey, you go back to our phone lines. Jeff, good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Yes, sir. I've got a Yukon XL, okay. and the check brake light came on. Okay. 
And I was told that the interlock breaking. Yes, yeah, so let me okay. ask you. Let me ask you this, Jeff. Is the light yellow? Or is it red? Yellow. Yellow. Yeah. Okay. That's an ABS right. warning light. The very, very most common thing on that, Jeff, is the ABS control module down on the left side of the frame rail. Now, those are obscenely expensive from General Motors, like in the eleven hundred dollar range. Now, what we've done is studied the problem and come up with a method where we can rebuild those modules in-house over at Agco. What we do is we take it off the car, and then we rebuild yours, put it back on, and I've had really, really good luck with it. Now, it takes a while to do these, and we don't stop and do one just by itself. So what we do instead is we wait until we get oh, five or six of them, then we'll sit down and rebuild them. The method is we'll take yours off. You can still drive the car without it. We'll rebuild it. As soon as we get it rebuilt, we'll give you a call, put it back on, and that'll take care of you. And that's for about a third of what it costs for the GM unit. And we've had just as good or better luck with those than we have with the GM unit. I've okay. even got a couple of them on the shelf at Agco that I've gotten over the years that I've had rebuilt. So if it's one that we've got in stock, I can just swap you out immediately. About an hour, hour and a half's labor to change everything out, and then like you're done. If, if we don't have the one... That take that your vehicle takes in stock. Right. We take yours off, right. wrap the connections up, and you can still drive the vehicle while that module is off. Right. We'll take some plastic and, and wrap it up to where you can drive the truck, and right. then when it comes in, we'll swap it back on there for you. Great. All right. Thank you a lot. Okay, You're Jeff. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. That's one thing, and we've talked a couple mm-hmm. times on the show about the escalating cost of parts, replacement parts, particularly right. from the big three or the not-so-big three. I was going to say the not-so-big three. <laughs> they have just jack the price parts up to obscene levels well and, and when that happens it creates industry, a whole other market that's right. because you got some smart smart people out there who figure out a way to get around it if the money's there an american's gonna find a way to get to it that's it that's it <laughs> and for 20 percent of the cost of a new one or less that's right so that's, that's great yeah i mean there are things like that that we're seeing going on more and more and more like a it's couple of times like, we've talked about the axle shafts on the new Suburbans and the Chevy pickups right. that G- GM jacked price up to 500 bucks a piece. Yeah, doubled the price in the last year. Right. There is a company that's come out with an aftermarket axle shaft now, down again in the $200 range, which is where it should be anyway. Exactly. That, in my opinion, we've used several of them. They look better than the ones that we're getting seem, from GM. Seem to be working. Seem to work, work out just well. fine. We stock those now, so... Yeah, the American spirit is pretty good. If you just leave it alone, it's going to fix things. <laughs> That's what Americans do. They fix things. That's it. You just got to leave it alone. Just leave know? them alone. Quit tampering with them. That's it. Let's go back to our phone line. We've got Tim online. Good morning, Tim. Hey, guys. How y'all doing? Doing great, doing sir. great. I have a 2007 Chevy Tahoe. Okay. And when I stop either at a, a red light or whatever, it feels like it's a kick. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a bump. Yeah, right. It's like somebody kind of bumps you in the back. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm going to tell you the most common thing there, Tim, and it's very common. The drive shaft, when you stop the truck, the wheels want to stop and the body wants to keep moving because of inertia. Well, the rear leaf springs are going to wind up a certain amount, and what's going to happen is the drive shaft is going to plunge into the back of the transmission, which it's supposed to do. It's got splines where it can move back and forth. Now, when GM did the machine work on those, they, they just left them real, real rough. And what happens, that drive shaft plunges in. And when you let off the brakes, boom, it pops back out. And it feels like somebody knocked you in the back. Right. We've had real good luck taking those shafts out, greasing those splines up with some synthetic grease, putting it back together. And that fixes it every time. It may eventually come back, and you may have to do it over again, but it's not a real expensive procedure. Okay. But that's almost always the problem with that. When they move hydromatic offshore, that machine work got so rough on there, that's when that problem started. Well, and, and I, they've had I, it for years and years and years. 
I've taken it back to them a couple times, mm-hmm. and they said that's normal, and I'm thinking this is a 30-something thousand dollar vehicle. That's normal. It's normal because we don't want to Tears will seal out the transmission. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or the differential. Yeah, it's a pretty good shock. I mean, no, it's not normal. It is normal from the respect, and almost every one of them does it. But right. it's not normal that it should be doing it. No, they've even got General Motors has their own grease for that problem. Okay, you want to just coat it. You don't want to pack that right into the shaft up. If, if you, you pack, pack it, it you hydrolock it. Right, and do some damage. But yeah, we use Mobile One grease because it works better than anything else. But and it uh, stays a good while. Yeah, it lasts a good while. Eventually, you have to come get back. in there and do it again. Yeah, but like Pro- I say, problem problem wise, is this something that's going to get progressively worse? Generally, so problem. yes. Sir. Yes, okay. it puts a shock on the U-joints. It puts a shock on the rear pinion. It puts a shock on the that transmission. The, I mean, I wouldn't put up bearing. with it. I got a low two truck. Mine was doing it. I greased it up one time. It's never come back. And like, so you're talking probably an hour or less labor to do the, okay. do the whole okay. job. So, so it doesn't take a long time. Oh, no. It doesn't uh-huh. take a whole long time. It doesn't cost a whole lot. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, you're very welcome. Thank you, man. Right. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Kevin online. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, guys. How Good are morning. you? Doing great, sir. Look, I have an 04 Altima, and mm-hmm. it has uh, heater issues. But when the car is at idle, mm-hmm. it doesn't blow hot air, and okay. it, it'll blow hot air once you get up to speed. Okay. And, you know, I did a little research, looked at it, and I, I figured out it was probably the heater core. Took it to a mechanic that I somewhat trust, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he told me the radiator had a lot of holes in it, so okay. we wound up replacing the radiator. Yes, sir. Did that. We still have the same problem. And what he's telling me is that, you know, it's probably the heater core, which I told him to the to begin mm-hmm. with, but he was thinking there might be sediment in there or something. He tried to blow it out. Well, generally, yeah. Generally, by the time the heater core goes out, the rest of the cooling system is going to probably be in pretty bad shape, too, because okay. it's all exposed to the same coolant, and it's all aluminum. So I don't know that he did the wrong thing. He may have just said, hey, we see there's an obvious problem here. It just wasn't the only problem. If the radiator had holes in it, I mean, it had to be fixed anyway, so yeah. you're not out a whole lot. But the heater core can definitely plug up on them. That is an issue. You might want to make sure, too, is the thermostat and all in the engine working properly? Is it getting yeah. the full operating temperature, seem like? Yeah, it does. I think all of that's correct. Okay. I don't, it's my niece's car. I don't mm-hmm. drive it a lot, but I've taken it on a few you know, test spins and everything well, in that part the, of it. The only thing okay. that kind of confuses me just a little bit, Kevin, is that it starts heating when you go faster. Because if the core was plugged, it should put out any heat at all. Really? Okay. Yeah, that's a little confusing. I have seen them when they're low on coolant do that, like they've got air in the system. Yeah, and, uh, and we did that. Whenever and whenever they did the holes, they flushed it out uh-huh. and, you know, and refilled the entire. Did system. it start working for a while and then quit again? No, it was still the same. Same, after, you know, during the winter, she said same problem. When she gets up to speed, the hot air will blow through the vents. But, yeah, you know, if you're sitting there at the car, the the, the temp will go up on the motor. Uh-huh. Everything goes up, but it'll just blow cool air. Or you yeah. know, that, that's really it. Now, yeah, I'm not sure, Kevin. That could also be a and blend door problem. I was problem. just thinking that. Yeah, because. Again, if the core is plugged, it ought to be plugged whether you're going fast or whether you're going slow. So, so you wouldn't get hot air out of it when you're moving? Well, what I would do, right, okay. until that blend door moves over and allows you to get air, and see, it may have to, at a certain speed, it may run some little tests, and it may say, hey, there's a problem, and it may go ahead and open the door. I'll tell you what you can do just to, you can do this yourself very, very easy. Okay. Go ahead and let it get the full operating temperature. Reach over and touch the two hoses, the inlet and the outlet hose. Okay. If both of those hoses are hot, then the core is flowing. If one hose okay. is hot and the other hose is cool, then the core is probably not flowing. Okay. But if both All of those right. hoses are hot, that core is flowing, more likely you've got a blend door problem, something under the dash. Okay. So All that's right. a very simple test you could try yourself. 
Now, now, if the heater core is blocked, there's no way to repair that, right? No, That's sir. Not, not without pulling the dash. It, and and yeah, a good bit of the dash has got to come out to get to it. I don't think the whole dash has to come out on that one, but you got to pull a good bit of dash out to get to it. And heater That's cores are relatively good. cheap relative to the labor it takes to change them, so you would okay. want to put the old one back anyway. All right. So, I mean, a uh, limited auto mechanic uh, knowledge here, you should, should I – just take that in and have it done. Man, unless you really want to spend a whole weekend or laying on your back, cricking your neck up under a dash, you know, yeah, it's, it's not a pleasant job. Okay. Well, that answers that question. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right, man. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. If you want to be part of the automotive, I, we'd love to have you. And let's see. Do we need to take a break right now or can we get a couple of these calls? Oh, we get One a couple more. of our calls. We've got Charlotte online. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning. I just want to comment a couple of callers ago had called in about that little bumping yeah, feeling yeah, yes, of a, an 07 GMC Sierra. Mm-hmm. And when I first purchased it, it was new and, and I had that problem. The best way I described it was like you're pulling a trailer. Right. And that, a little initial bump. Boom. You stop yep. and uh, bump when you pull away. Exactly. And uh, took it in about four times. It took them four times to fix it. <laughs> took four times and, to grease the drive shaft. <laughs> yeah, they finally did. And of course, they, the last time they said they had gotten something from GM and uh, uh, told them what to do and everything. Yeah, yeah. It was I, uh, know, annoying. Warranty service is very annoying. And the reason being, Charlotte, is that warranty service does not pay the same thing as customer paid work. And mm-hmm. in a dealership, even though it shouldn't be this way and the customer shouldn't have to worry about this kind of stuff, but it's generally a couple of guys that know what they're doing and there's a bunch of flunkies. And the flunkies get all the warranty work. And the guys <laughs> who know what they're doing, they're in the back doing the engine overhauls and transmission rebuilds and the all that. The customer pay stuff. And the cu- yeah, they do the yeah. stuff they can make money at. And the, okay. the flunkies get the warranty work. So. <laughs> okay. All righty. Well, thank you all so much for your service. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. And we've got David on the line. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing, doing great, morning. sir. It's a beautiful day. Isn't it? It is. It's a good day to work on cars. That's right. (laughs) I have the same heater problem as that gentleman. I think it was Kevin a couple of Mm -hmm. calls ago. Mm -hmm. Only mine's a manual mixer. Okay. It's an an old, I got to test your memory now. It's going back 94 and everything. Yeah. It's a beautiful car. It works good, but it never warms up. It'll get just a little bit warm and it stays there. Well, and you see, you can have the same problem with that, David. On that one, I think you got to switch your turn to get heat, and it moves a cable, which moves a blend door. Exactly. And you can get some slack in those things, in those doors and all, where they don't open all the way. Again, the same diagnosis. Go in, touch the two hoses. If both hoses are red hot, I mean, they're hot, hot to the touch, Uh chances are the core is flowing. Now, if one hose is hot, one hose is cool, it's not flowing. Then you got a heat of core problem. Well, I hope it's not that. Yeah, anything else, if both hoses are cool, you may have something like a thermostat problem. Because if I'm not mistaken, that one's got a light, not a gauge for the temperature. This one's got a gauge. Does it have a gauge? Is your gauge getting all the way over full halfway? It's getting on up there. You know, it's not okay. laying over toward cool at all. Okay. Well, the chance of the thermostat's okay because that's another thing that can cause it. But just check those two hoses, and if they're both hot, Chances are you got some kind of an air distribution problem, blend door type of a problem. If one's hot and one's cold, then you're probably into some kind of a heater core issue. Oh, well, let me try and you know and see that. Yeah, just check that and see. That'll, that'll put you in the right direction. All right, can I ask you about another car real quick? Yeah, go ahead. I have a 2000 Neon. Mm-hmm. And back when it was, I changed the antifreeze on it, I checked the antifreeze and everything. Mm-hmm. I didn't change it. It was good. And I put the cap back on it. Now it's overheating. I swapped out the caps on it. Because it's got that screw-on cap you got to put on mm-hmm. real tight. Yes, sir. And it's still overheating. So what's my problem? Did you there? lose any coolant when you checked it? No, I did not. The only thing I can think of, when you open the system, 
you more or less break up the siphon effect between the reservoir and the radiator. And if the radiator gets slightly low for any reason, let's say you got a leak somewhere in the system, then it's not going to uh, draw coolant from that reservoir. So your reservoir will stay full, but the radiator will get empty. So mm. what you need to do is let it cool completely off and then take that cap back off and look down there and see if that radiator is low. All right. And if it is, go ahead and fill that back up, but it means you got a leak. But that's uh, why it might start after you check the fluid. That's the only thing I can think of. you think it would of. be a, a leak from the hose from it the radiator to the reservoir? No, probably a leak somewhere else in the system, and it's just the reservoir was keeping it full before that. But when you took the cap off, you broke up that siphon, so now it's not doing it. Okay, well, I need to check that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's a beautiful day to do it. I appreciate <laughs> there it. There you go. All right. Thank you, David. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back. Brent, Leslie, Ray, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. I'm here with John, an actual Agco Automotive customer. I've been taking all of my cars to Lewis for a long time. I go in regularly for all changes, and if they notice anything else wrong, they let me know. It's just like going in for a checkup at the doctor. So you're saying the mechanics at Agco are like physicians? Car doctors. They don't ever miss a diagnosis. And I have three cars with over 100,000 miles on them. Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. They'll check it out and even let you know if it's best to invest in repairs or possibly look for another vehicle. Yep, regular maintenance with Agco keeps my cars running fine. And regular checkups at the doctor keeps this old 80-year-old in good shape, too. You're 80? John, I hope I look that good when I'm your age. Well, son, I think it's kind of late for that. Oh, I see your wit's pretty sharp, too. So, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we can try to answer any questions you might have. we got some folks who've been holding a long time. Let's go to the lines with Leslie. Good morning, Leslie. Thanks for holding. Okay. I have a 97 Ford pickup. Uh-huh. Okay. The instrument panel doesn't work at all. The speedometer or nothing in it. Nothing in it works? Uh-huh. Okay. And I don't have the slightest idea where you ready to go. Yeah. Chances are, Leslie, if everything went out and it all went out at the same time, the instrument panel itself has gone bad. Now, the bad news is you can no longer buy those from Ford. They're obsolete. They just don't sell them any longer. The good news is there's several people on the Internet who can rebuild those for you. It's just a little bit inconvenient because you have to take it out, send it off. You can be without a truck for probably a week while they're repairing it. That's the only thing I can think of. If just the speedometer went out, I'd say maybe you got a speed sensor or something, but everything else would still work. Uh, if everything the whole- on, on the panel is off, and it did it. Uh, well, last time I drove the truck, I don't drive it that yes, often, sir. but then I got back up in the other day. And yes, sir. Now, opening, whew, now you worked. might just check. There is a fuse for the instrument panel, okay. and it is possible a fuse could have blown. I would certainly check that first. Okay. But if you do not have a fuse blown, then you can bring it to us. We can plug in, and I can see what the inputs are to the instrument panel. If we got full inputs and we got no readings, then the panel itself is bad. One of the circuits is blown out in it. It's basically just a little computer board is all it is. Uh-huh. And if one circuit goes out, everything in there is going to go down. So what we'd have to do is pull it out, send it out, have it remanufactured, and put it back. The other option would be to go to a junkyard and get one, but then you can get one with the wrong mileage and all that kind of stuff. And there's lots of options. It's kind of hard to find the exact right one. Okay. What kind of cost are we looking at? Well, the diagnosis on it would probably be less than an hour, and taking it out and putting it back in would probably be less than an hour. So you're not talking about any big money on that end. 
rebuilding the dash probably two three hundred bucks i mean i'd have to check around and see and i mean you might go on the internet and just type in speedometer repair and you'll probably get five thousand hits and just kind of fish around and see if you see a body with any prices in there that'll give you an idea okay all right all right that'll get me started okay there so, you go thank you thank sir. you all bye-bye right. all right bye-bye and we got brent online good morning brent hey buddy hey man i've got a 93 ford f-150 okay and i've got it's got still steering wheel but i've got slack in the steering wheel i've checked the steering buckle and the column all that is tight at one time they had a little, little plastic shim that kind of i saw where it was kind of broken out a little blue thing i think and i pulled it and threw it away but it's got slack in the steering wheel, just like you tilt it up and sideways. Right. Okay. Slack in the and tilt phase. In the tilt part of it. Yes, sir. Right. There's a connection down there where the tilt mechanism bolts to the stationary part of the column. And a lot of times those bolts will come loose or something in there is wore out. I'm trying to remember how that one's put together. I think there's a piece in there that wears out. It, yeah, there's like a little the, uh, collar in there that wears out on them. I know we've had to change those several times. A little collar. Right. Yeah, so, if, if the parts are still available, it can be repaired. Yeah, generally you can still get those things because they use the same column way on up. We had one in not too long ago around that same time, and his got so bad it cut the wires and the wiring harness going up the column. And, of course, the truck stopped, and he had to bring it in then. It's better to get it in and get it repaired before you go too far with it because it's going to eventually cut the wiring harness going up the column, and it gets way more expensive. How do I take the steering wheel off? I see the bolt. Is there a puller or something? Man, that thing takes about two dozen special tools and a whole lot of knowledge. I would not fool with it if I was you. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's pretty complex. way way out of the realm of most do-it-yourselfers. Pretty complex deal. Oh, man. You'll never never get it back together. I'm looking at some money and get that fixed. Huh? Well, not as much as screwing it up yourself. <laughs> be a lot cheaper to bring somebody knows what to do. Yeah, and I know I'm fixing to wear out the... Uh, cut the wiring harness, and, and then it'll start dying and all that. You know, it'll cut the wires to the switch and all that stuff. It'll start shorting them out. Right, you know, Something like right. that nature. So probably is not any major, major money. I mean, it's, it's an expense, obviously, but I mean... It's a little time-consuming. Yeah. You're looking at probably a couple hours to but do it. It's got a ton of special stuff to get that thing apart, special little pullers and all kind of stuff, and there's a bunch of little pieces in there. Is I mean, that what you guys can do? Yeah, sir, we can do them. Okay. That's what I'll do. Thank you very right. much, guys. Thank You're you, welcome. man. Bye-bye. There, there you go. go. <laughs> I ain't seen that in 18 years now. I pretty much have it with down pat. Let's go to the line with Ray. Good morning, Ray. Good morning. Yes, I got sir. a 2004 runner. Okay. And it's got about 58,000 miles. We don't use it a lot. Okay. But at 58,000, the check engine light come on. Yes, sir. I take it and they plug in and it mm-hmm. says O2 sensors. Okay. So I changed them. Okay. Light's still on. uh, (laughs) Say again? Light's still on. Light's still on. Yeah. Well, you just learned the part and lesson. You must not listen to the show too much, huh, Ray? No, huh? Okay. There you go. You just learned an important lesson. That's going to save you a lot of money down the road. That code is not information. That's data. All that means is that the O2 sensor is out of range. Now, the O2 sensor can be out of range because it's got a vacuum leak. It can be yeah. out of range because the injector's stuck open. It can be out of range because the airflow meter's not working. It can be okay. out of range for about 200 different reasons. The All thing right. is, you're going to run out of money before you run out of guesses. <laughs> not right. only that, but the sensors that you got, it's probably not as good as the one you took out. So if you still got your original Toyota sensor, you're going to do better off to put that back in there and then bring okay. it to somebody and let them check and tell you what's really wrong with it. Even if you want to do the work yourself, bring it to somebody. We do that a lot. We'll diagnose the thing and then tell them what to change. They'll go change it itself. Probably less than an hour's labor, which is 85 bucks. I can tell you exactly what the problem is. Then you can go in and change that one part and be done with it. But okay. if you still got your original sensor, that's probably better than the one you put in there. 
I do. I do. The I, the ones I bought were trash. You bought a you bought a brand name. Yeah, that's oh, all you bought. All you buy is a name, man. Yeah, yeah. You way better okay. off with your original part back in there. And see, it could be something as complex as the computer not sending a signal to the auction sensor, or something as simple as a vacuum leak. Well, what it does, if you like, if you disconnect the battery and mm-hmm. you know wipes out the memory right. temporarily, right? And about 150 miles. Right. Of light come back. Well, that's right. because it takes 150 miles to complete all the readiness tests, and it's not going to turn it back on to the readiness test complete. But see, every okay. time you do that, you destroy all the block learned memory, and you destroy all the information the guy needs to fix it. So okay. don't don't ever disconnect the battery. That's that's definitely definitely going the wrong direction there. You have okay. to drive it around until you rebuild all that data. That's not ever 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 going to fix anything, and it's going to create a whole lot more problems. Okay. Pretty much everything right. you know about a car is wrong. <laughs> you know? the, the, right. Nowadays, man, yeah. you, you can't it's, apply anything you ever knew about a car. It's Every, not, everything's totally different. It's not just you. No, it's everything. I've seen line mechanics that worked okay. on cars 20 years ago. They can't fix a car today. No. It, man, I have no it, clue. They're just so different now. Everything is totally, totally different. Nothing makes a whole lot of sense. Logically, you just got to have a whole lot of experience and a whole lot of equipment to, to diagnose anything. Once you diagnose it, it's probably not a big deal to fix. I'll tell you another symptom. Uh, in the mornings when you crank it up, yes, sir. before that light was coming on, mm-hmm. when you would crank it up, it runs smooth, you know. Mm-hmm. And now when you crank it up in the mornings, it takes about 10 minutes until it warms up before it starts running smooth. Well, and see, that could have to do with disconnecting the battery, too. Because right. every time you disconnect the battery, it's going to lose idle function. It has to relearn that, which takes a long time. And okay. if it's got a problem, it's not going to relearn it. Particularly if the throttle body's dirty, so you just create a second problem with the idle. Now, once it warms up, it goes to reading all the sensors. It can make it idle, right? But when it's cold, it's running on default reads. And once it loses idle in default, it's not going to idle, right? All yeah, that will probably clear up once you fix the problem. Yeah, we don't drive it that much either. So right. That's, that's another, even more. Another hard hard on it. Okay. Thank right. you very much. Okay, Ray. You're welcome. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, gentlemen. How yes, y'all doing? Doing great, today? sir. Good morning. Good. I'll get to it. Uh, 98 Saturn mm-hmm. SL. Yes, sir. And I was driving down the other day, and the little red warning light that came on saying that I was low on fluid. Temperature gauge was fine. I got out, I turned it off, got out, looked at it. Mm-hmm. And the levels are all fine. Is okay. that some sort of a level switch? It is. Or? It is. And they go out a lot, David. It's a little sensor in the side of the radiator tank. One of the things that makes them go out, and you might want to check for this, if you get any oil into the coolant, uh-huh. for instance, if you get a leaking intake gasket or something like that, and you get any kind of oil in your coolant, it'll wipe them out quick. I mean, it'll oh, knock, okay. knock them out in no time flat. And I probably not shouldn't, shouldn't be telling you this. <laughs> if you don't want to fix it, because those sensors are kind of expensive, you can unplug the sensor, the light will go off, and you just have to check your fluid manually. You, know, you just have to uh-huh. manually okay. check it every once in a while. Okay. Because they are kind of problematic, and once they start doing that, if you got any oil in that coolant, it's gonna keep knocking them out. Okay. I mean, it'll, la- it'll a- last a month or two, and it'll go out again. Is that actually in the radiator or in that little? Oil Normally, coolant? it's in the radiator. On a Saturn, I'm not a hundred percent sure because I don't work on that many of them. On most GM cars, it's in the radiator inside of the tank. Okay, great. I sure do appreciate All right. it, guys. Okay, man. Thank you. Bye. You want to be part of the automotive hour? And we got Joe online. Good morning, Joe. Yeah. Good morning. I've got a good morning. I- I've got a two thousand. Forerunner, okay. Toyota Forerunner. Yes, it's got 150,000 miles okay. on it. It runs fine, mm-hmm. but I'm concerned about the the urgency and the factory recommendations on replacing the timing belt. It hasn't been done yet. It has not been done yet. Ooh, you're way, 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 way past due on right. that, Joe. Because the 150,000 miles is bad, but the 10 years is absolutely horrible. 
because the rubber belt is going to break down. Is that a 3.4 liter in that one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. What's going to happen? That belt, like any piece of rubber, is going to dry rot. When it breaks, the valves are going to hit the pistons, and you're done. I mean, stick a fork in, and it's finished. It needs a new motor. And if you have a price of Toyota motor, they're probably up in the $7,500 range. So it's got to be done. There's absolutely no sense in putting it off. It will break. You way past due on mileage and years, and the years are more critical than the miles. And what you don't want to do is just get a belt slap put on right. it. Right. You want somebody that'll go in there, do a proper job, do a proper service on it. The reason right. being, you got 150,000 miles in 10 years. When you take the timing belt off, you got the entire front of the motor apart. What right. I normally do is I will change the water pump, I'll change both camshaft seals, I'll change the front crankshaft seal, the oil pump seal, the two idler pulleys and the tensioner, and the outside belts. And reason being, if you get a belt slap, you slap a belt on it, Right. next month, the one of the seals starts out. leaking, yep. or the pump goes out. You're back in there doing the same job again, paying the same labor to do it. Right. Same if, labor, whereas yeah. you That's were right. there, it's just a matter of parts. That the, point. the biggest part of that job is getting to the belt. Right. About five, front about end five hours labor to tear that motor down and yeah. get in there. When you're in there, you can change every part in there as easy as you can change just the belt. That's right. Gotcha. So right. you're talking about uh, several hundred, uh, maybe yes, thousand yes, dollars. Well, well not, not quite that much. Normally, they run around eight hundred dollars with, with everything. And that's using Toyota parts, original Toyota parts, eight hundred or so. Now, if you want to do a tune-up on or anything like that, you might add a few more dollars, but that generally will take care. But now you're good for another seven years or ninety thousand miles. Gotcha. Okay. All righty. Thanks for the help. Yes, you're sir. Welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. You want to part of the automotive fire? We'd love to have you, Gregory. Hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. I'm here with Stuart, life insurance rep and Agco Automotive customer. That's me. So, Stuart, as an Agco customer driving a car with 245,000 miles, you believe in preventative maintenance, right? I sure do. You know, having your car checked out annually can prevent major repairs, just like an annual insurance review. That reminds me of the old insurance story about the poor lady at her husband's funeral who asked her agent about death benefits. And he informs her that old Joe's first wife is still the beneficiary. Oh, an annual review would have helped, huh? That's why Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection to get an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs needed to help keep your car running. Oh, I'm definitely a believer. So, on another note, my wife wants to increase my life insurance policy by a couple million. Should I be worried? All I can say is some flowers and a gift card to the spa couldn't hurt. Mmm, good point, Stuart. For the rest of you out there, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alpazan from Agco Automotive. I've got our lead tech, Brian Terry, here with me. Between two of us, we can answer almost any question you might have. I want you to just give us a call. And going back to our phone lines with Gregory. Good morning, Gregory. Good morning, Mr. Alpazan yes. and uh, Mr. Brian Terry. How yes. you doing? Doing Great. good. Okay, I have a general question. For us, uh, I've heard on your program, yes, 90% of the calls are from 2000 on up to where we are now. Yes, sir. And very seldom are the calls in the 90s. My car, I've got tie rods and a blend door and the windows. Normal things that wear out yes, sir. on the car mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. Why is it that you don't have any of the calls in the 90s? My car is just it's running pretty good. Yes, sir. And then uh, the body work and everything, the yes, paint and all that, I've got to get that done. But why is it that 2,000 cars in the cars like my 
Well, actually, Greg, the 95 Maxima, the 97 Ford pickup, the 93 F-150, and the 98 Saturn were all 90-model cars. That's four calls just this morning. So we do get a lot of calls for cars in the 1990s. But you got to remember, those cars are getting depending on where they fall in the 1990s, anywhere between 10 and 20 years old. So a lot of them are starting to be off of the road. It's just most people do not keep a car that long, although there's no reason you can't as long as you're willing to take care of it like you've done with yours. A lot of well, folks no, keep cars. I mean, I'm, I'm still working on 80, 80 model cars. Oh, yeah. I you mean, know, 200,000-something That's correct. And like you're saying, that possibly get 300,000. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I always have seen the wisdom in doing that. But, you know, a lot of folks just don't keep cars that long. And then with this cash for clunkers garbage we had going on a while, they took a bunch of the old cars and crushed them. And yeah, they took a good dependable car for, could afford and put them in a car that they can't afford, that they can't keep up. So they're way worse off than they are. But just our society, man, some people equate a new car with success. I mean, it's all kinds of dynamics that go into it. But I'm with you. I generally you know, keep a car 15, 20 years. Yeah. You know, once you buy a new car, you take it off a lot. That's right. It's, it's, it's a used it's, car that day. That's right. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thanks for calling well, in. Look, hold on. I just want to give you a little something right here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a little Im imitation. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. This is my Terry. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, this is Alvin Sands. Uh, That's right. Uh, 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 I'm a Louis Alvin Sands. There uh, you go. <laughs> you did a good job on that one, too. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Bobby online. Good morning, Bobby. Hey, guys. Hi, Lewis. Hi, Brian. How you doing? Doing, doing great, great, sir. Good show as usual. I was Thank a great talking about that guy before about the old, uh -huh. the older cars. I got a 91 Ford van that, you know, and it runs pretty good most of the time. I know the gas tank's corroded and some other stuff. Yes, sir. Some, what gets me, Lewis, is sometimes the thing runs fine, and sometimes when you take it out, you don't know if you're going to get back home. <laughs> you start surging and a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm getting the, the drift from your show. That's because the computer can correct for some things. Until one day it's just not going to correct and it's going to leave me on growth. Is that about well, right? Well, it's Sounds possible. pretty close. Yeah. See, the, the problem with those old vans is they had two gas tanks on them, which meant they held a whole, whole lot of right. gas. Yeah, it's And you don't drive it very much. So that old gas sits there and gets stale, which causes all kinds of problems. Plus, tanks rust up on them, which causes a whole lot of problems. I would not be surprised, Bobby, if you didn't have, if you pulled your fuel filters off of there and started looking inside them, I would be surprised if you'd have a whole bunch of rust in those filters. Okay. And it restricts your fuel flow, and when it does, it's going to run like the devil, and then it may blow it on through there, and then it's going to run okay for a while until it plugs up the injectors, and, and then on and on and on it goes, that's you know? That's what's going on, yeah. Yeah. You can, you can take that fuel filter off and turn it upside down in a glass jar mm -hmm. and shake it and can kind of knock it around okay. backwards, drain it from the input side, okay. and you can let that fuel and, and sediment settle out right. and you can see how much trash is in that yeah, system. Yeah, you get a bunch of old rusty red stuff out of there and you probably got rusty tanks on it. it. It'll take several hours for it to settle down. Yeah. Okay, well like I said, I'm, I'm, I just hate to give it a van because <laughs> it runs so fine. It's been a great van. But yeah, sometimes you can clean those injectors. Bobby, you're not going to clean them by running anything through it. What you have to do is physically take them out and do just like he said with the fuel filter. That's where you turn them upside down, tap them on something, let all that rust come out because it's got a little micro screen in there. That rust will get in there and plug those screens up, and the injectors will quit firing. We've got a little device that pulses them, and we take some chemical and run through them backwards, and we've been able to clean a lot of them and then change all the filters and all that. But again, it just depends on how much money you want to spend, because if you don't change the tanks, right. you're going to be right back again yeah, pretty soon. Exactly right. it, unless you're taking that van across country or something, you really only need one tank in yeah, it. Yeah, I'd probably so eliminate only, one tank. Yeah, if you only changed one tank and used that tank exclusively after that. Correct. And disconnected the other one where you couldn't use it. Right. You'd be a whole lot better off. 
I'd be willing to do that, but that tank's going to be two or three hundred bucks. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. is very easily. Yeah, you got those sites on the internet that sell gas tanks aftermarket that are pretty good. I think GasTanks.com is one of them. You might pop on there and see what you think, but yeah, they are kind of pricey. Okay. All righty. Okay, guys. Thanks a lot. Okay, You're welcome. Man, thank you. Bye bye. All right. Do we have time for another call? Or just about out of time. We're going to try to take Mac. Good morning, Mac. Good morning. How yes, y'all sir. doing? Today? Doing great, Good sir. Good morning. I just got a quick question. Sure. I have a 2003 Dodge Ram. Mm-hmm. And about a month ago, I'm a manager at a grocery store in Baton Rouge area. I went and picked up a pile of water in my truck at another store. Uh-huh. And then I brought it back, and I noticed about two days after that, now, like, any time, like, I turn my wheels and stuff, it, it, it like, has a squeaking to it. Would that, could that be? And I talked to another mechanic. He said yeah. it might have, by getting that pile of water, I might have messed up some bearings. Kind of yeah. doubt it, Mac. That sounds more like you got it. Can you make the noise with a vehicle sitting still? And there's when it's sitting still in a parking lot, you turn the wheel back and forth, will it squeak? No, sir. It's more when I'm driving. Only when, when you're rolling. Right, when I'm rolling. Hmm. Could be a low brake pad. Yeah. The squealer's touching when It could be just a turn. coincidence. You may have like a brake indicator, yeah. squealer, rubbing or something. I'd really oh, have okay. to see it to, to know. I think it's probably a coincidence, so I don't think anything that you loaded it. Where is y'all located at? Uh, go to my website, www.agcoauto.com, and I'll show you exactly how to get there. Okay. Okay, uh, I'll pre- Hi, man. I'm sorry we're just totally out of time. Appreciate everybody listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.